evening and Happy New Year to you all. You are welcome to Reader's Hour on Quarantine FM, our first episode of 2021. You're joined by our hosts, Catherine Gallagher and Anna Dalton. And yeah, Happy New Year to everyone. Hope you've all survived so far into 2021. In the show, we're going to be taking a look at Irish literature in all forms, including fiction, drama, essays, poetry, journalism, and everything in between. On today's show, we are going to hear from writer Amy O'Connor. Later on, we'll be chatting about reading habits and reading slumps, if you found yourself in one lately. But first of all, though, we're going to discuss the first book, actually, uh, that we're going to be featuring on Reader's Hour, which is Patrick Frayne's book, Okay, let's do your stupid idea. For people that don't know, Patrick Frayne is a journalist and predominantly a features writer with the Irish Times. And in 2020, in September 2020, he published his first book. And this was a collection of personal essays, which ties in with our discussions earlier on when we first, I suppose, began Reader's Hour when we talked about the rise of the personal essay on the Irish literary scene. So we're delighted to finally <laughs> have been able to read it over Christmas. Um, Anna, you, you were talking a bit before we started recording, but um, how would you synopsize the book in a couple of lines? Well, yeah, so it's, it's a collection of personal essays. And as you said, it's kind of a, a form that has seen a bit of a, a boom of sorts in the last couple of years here so it was really nice to get stuck into this one um so yeah it kind of they're very and they are very personal um frame kind of ranges over kind of anecdotes from his childhood being a young adult and it'll be different escapades he had some of the essays might just kind of focus on a few of these and um, he covers his you know family life growing up as the child of a military father um, you know, kind of concerns as well of like a young person of trying to fit in or to impress people or to, you know, do to act cool. And then he kind of covers um experiences as he was from when he was an adult as well, of you know, his journalistic career, um, being in a band, working for an anarchist radio station. So he'll kind of he picks sort of different episodes, I think, or little mini epochs in his life and and he'll kind of just tell the story for you so it's very funny um in parts and it's you know it's it's sad in others but yeah the real I think um you know a, a look inwards and kind of back at his past of different times that stood out for him and yeah I, I mean yeah we'll we'll get into how he enjoyed it and I do hope a few listeners managed to read it as well because I know it was one a lot of people have kind of seen around probably a lot of people like got it for a Christmas present and we did put the call out yes. um, to say if anybody wanted to read along. So I hope I hope people did. Um, and and you can tell us what you thought of it. Um, but yeah, I, I did find it really funny, I have to say, which it was kind of I, I knew that from the recommendations and it really did. It really did make me laugh, um, which is always a good thing in a book when you're kind of you find yourself like bursting out laughing. And the other person in the room is like, what are you reading? Like, what is that? Which happened a few times. <laughs> Which is always nice. We were you were just you were just saying there, and like he's recounting, you know, um, kind of memories and and stories, and 
I was really impressed before we even get to the to the writing of it, but his memory, yeah. his ability to recount and recall, um, memories from his especially from from when he was like a really young boy, and I would have always have. <laughs> prided myself on having a very good memory myself from when I was younger but I I, th- I think Patrick Freyna would make me question how good my my own memory is his his memory and I that that's something that you know not everyone has to be able to to remember certain things about their their childhood and and you know growing up yeah. um so his ability to recount I think is really impressive it is um, it is and I actually noticed um, um, sorry to cut across you Catherine but in the in his acknowledgements I think he he mentions how for some of the stories he went back to if they involved certain friends of his he went back and said you know do you remember it like this this is how I remember it and some of the times it was slightly different and he it was just interesting yeah. that he actually makes a note of that in the acknowledgements kind of saying sometimes you think something was one way and then you asked the other person who was there and and it was they had a totally different impression of it so yeah he, he's obviously mm-hmm. very conscious of of memory and accuracy and trying to get the details really right which which definitely comes across your dead right like it's it's really rich I think in the detail and like setting the scene so you really kind of feel like you you under you get kind of caught up in the world and the time period he's he's talking about and I think actually and this is a, a point that I'm probably going to make a couple of times this evening, so forgive me, but it's I think a lot of that he's very observant and like he said, um nearly like two step verification of his own memories. And I think I think I I have heard people writing like memoirs and collection of personal essays doing that as well, but I think it, it, it isn't surprising given his background as a journalist and he does mention he, his role as a journalist actually does come up quite a lot in the mm-hmm. in the book which isn't you know too surprising that's his profession that's what he does and especially for I I got the impression that he, he said something along the lines of when he speaks to kind of like the everyman you know the kind of I suppose people with no frills or airs or graces to them, uh, when he talks to ordinary people, I think is what I'm trying to say, he is so conscious of, when he's interviewing them, he is so conscious to, to get it right and he'll transcript, mm. you know, he'll transcribe interviews and sometimes he might call them and, and he'll say, did you, did you actually mean that or is that a word that you would usually use or, you know, if he, if he was unsure. So it's interesting that he does that in his work. And he does yeah. it in his writing, I, which I think is really interesting. Um, but yeah. I think I was saying to Anna as well, I, we were chatting a bit about the book before we started recording. So um, I do think, and I, I don't mean to be too, I don't mean to be clinical or critical uh, in what I'm going to say, that I think that the book, in terms of the essays, there's nearly like two different types of essays. I th- this is my opinion. There's nearly like two different types of essay in it, in that one type is the kind of very funny kind of um 
I suppose storytelling, telling a particular story at a particular moment in time, usually when he was quite young, from a moment when he was quite young, and I suppose it's it's meant to be full of humour. And then there's another type of essay which is a lot more sombre, at times very sad, subdued, but heartfelt and compassionate and empathetic to, I think, to himself. Uh, especially as he gets older and to others around him and I particularly enjoyed the latter type and of course as well there are essays where they both kind of overlap where there's a bit of humour and there's a bit of kind of more more sombre tones in there as well but I particularly enjoyed um, you know the chapters like Care where he's talking about being a care worker and talking about grief, losing his one of his very close friends, Paul, and subsequent dreams about Paul after his death, and um, about being uh, being married and, and not having children and, and, and things like that. So those were the essays that I really enjoyed. But having said that, I, I said there's two different types, or there's humour and there's more serious and... But that means it's a wide-ranging book. Yeah. And that's good because if for some reason that one essay might not speak to you in a way, because we're all different and we all enjoy different things, we all have different temperaments and humour, if one essay for some reason doesn't speak to you or you know, just doesn't speak to you, the next one probably will. So I yeah. think that's, that, that's really smart on, on Frayne's part. Yeah, and I think it's you know you're right that some of the some of the essays are more overtly like a comical tone and story, and others are much yeah they're much you know more serious or or they have yeah kind of a, a sadness to them. But there's also yeah that sense of kind of moving between the two, which I just find in a way like that's real life is that the the things come mm-hmm. together, you know that trope of the line between comedy and tragedy, you know, sometimes it can go either way. And I think Frank kind of, he brings that in, you know, he'll make a joke, he'll be talking about something serious. And that's obviously part of his personality as well, which I, I think comes across that, you know, he he's going to go between the two, but it felt quite natural to me. And and yeah, I think there's a good, it means there's a good kind of balance in a way in the, in the collection, as you say, because you kind of, yeah, it flows between different kind of moods, which I think is always a nice thing when you're reading a collection like that. Um, and same as you, I think some of the essays that I really kind of, I felt like moved me the most or impacted me the most were those like that story Care, which you mentioned mm-hmm. when he's, you know, his time working in a home for people with intellectual disabilities. It was just like really, really powerful. You know, I think and you felt like there was a lot of, honesty in what he how he's writing it a lot of huge amount of empathy you know for for the people he was talking about who he worked with and Mm -hmm. you know and just also for you know I think as well one thing that struck me about reading his style of writing is he kind of doesn't let away let himself away with anything do you know what I mean so he'll he makes a lot of fun of himself and even in that he was like you know like being a care worker he's kind of very careful to be like I'm you know I was no saint 
I don't think that I'm brilliant just because I did that job, but here's what I learned yeah. from it, uh, which is something I found really kind of likable and unreal about his his writing style. He's clearly very observant of people around him, not only people that he he works with, be it as a care worker or colleagues or people he interviews, but of his family. He writes so beautifully about his ex- his immediate family. And his extended family as well. I love the writings about his uncle and his aunties and his and his parents as well. Um, his father comes from like a military background and that was really interesting to to, to read about. The, the one thing I can't put my... I can't explain why I feel it is that I can tell there's been a lot of personal development from when he was a young fella to yeah. now. I can't... I, I can't quite put my finger on it why, I can't explain why, but I can tell as a reader, I don't know the man, obviously, but I can sense that there's been a lot of just yeah. personal development there. And like like you said, that comes through when he's being honest about himself to the readers. Yeah, I think you're right. There's, I think he writes about himself as a, you know as a child or as a younger person definitely there's a sense of distance which I think maybe is partly what you're talking about because he there's different points where he's like there's quite what I found a really funny story about him doing the parachute jump um Mm -hmm. and you know which he agreed to do when he's like 19 or 20 and he kind of he says a few times during the story he's like I could not tell you my motivation for doing it it's almost as if he has he can't understand that older that former version of himself of like why they were motivated to do it who they were trying to impress like how they handled the whole situation is kind of he's at a remove from it now so although he's writing with himself I think it is that sense of like it's a it's a past version that he's um you know he's he's trying to get in touch with but he's he doesn't fully understand I mentioned there and and like it's come up a lot in our well, it's come up a couple of times in our discussions about other books, um, about other uh, collections of personal essays that women have talked about about being without child, but not having yeah. children. And I have never really read actually I, I, I would say that uh I think this is one of the first collection of personal essays written by a man I think I've read I've predominantly read uh, those written by women mm-hmm. um, so I have never really read the, the male perspective of not having children was struck by how sensitively he wrote about it like he was honest but also sensitive to his his wife and mm-hmm. he doesn't say why and he's dead right because we don't need to know why yeah. And that actually, I have to say, was a, it caused myself to check in with my own head to be like, you know, he's dead right, you don't need to know why. And why are we so obsessed to know the yeah. reason why when people don't have kids? He just says something along the lines of that it would just be, it would just be a scenario that would be a bit too complicated and yeah. we, we don't know why, which I thought was powerful. I thought yeah. that was... I agree I agree and I think for me I kind of thought it's partly 
you know, maybe it's not just his story, you know, it's, it's, um, you, you don't know what happened, but also, you know, there's obviously, there's other people maybe involved in that, like his partner, but also I think what, what he talks about in that is like, yeah, society, we're so obsessed with the idea of, or so conditioned to believe that you're, you're meant to have them, that why, why do we feel the need to have, you know, yeah, somebody explain to us why you don't. I'm actually sorry, this is a bit of a tangent, but I was listening to an interview with Phoebe Waller-Bridge recently. Oh, yes. Um, Fleabag. And she was talking about writing for Killing Eve, which I actually have not watched. But she was actually just talking about she puts the character in it. Who's the is she detective Eve, I think, has no kids in it. And she didn't explain why. And she said at a certain point, there was a bit of pressure to be like, well, why doesn't this character have kids? And she was like, I just didn't want to put it in there because why do I have to explain, you know, like the, there should, you should just be allowed to put that in without the backstory. So yeah, I think it's, it's, it's very, you're right. It's a powerful move um, that, that that's kind of left unsaid. And yeah, I, I was the same. I thought it was really moving. I hadn't read kind of a, um, a men's perspective on that issue before. And maybe there's loads of writing on it, but just none that I've come across. So yeah, I thought it was, yeah, it was a really, yeah, quite, quite a moving essay. Um, and, you know, but also I think, you know, hopeful and kind of life affirming as well about, you know, all the other things that you have in your life and all the other relationships you have. Like, yeah, it was just really, really sensitively done. Yeah, I think, and I don't know if this is something that we've talked about before, but he also, he has an essay, Brain Fever, where he talks about yes. different mental health issues. Like, I think in some ways it's a playful way to to write about mental health because he goes through, he has this sort of like subtitle, subheadings throughout the essay of different sort of ailments or different things he had going on, like hypochondria or yeah, depression, grief you know, there's really kind of serious or like OCD and anxiety. Um, so he kind of lists them out and he talks about his experience. And again, it's like that um, movement between dark and light, which I just thought he did so well, where he's, he's talking about really terrible, you know, like suffering from the loss of friends, like the hypochondria and OCD, where he's just really anxious about his own health and he can't stop thinking about it or having really intrusive thoughts about family, me- like like killing family members mm. and things with OCD, which is, you know, it's it's really dark. But he also moves to this kind of what I thought was a very funny recounting of his really dysfunctional relationship with this therapist where he kind of on reflection <laughs> thinks the therapist just thought he was a bit of a, you know, whiner coming in every week and saying like, oh, you're doing, you're making great progress. And he's saying, well, actually, I feel like I'm getting every week is worse, which I just thought was quite funny. Um, You know, I think, again, it's that thing of he's sort of able to step outside. I think with a bit of distance, he's able to write about it because I would imagine it's a, when you're deep inside some of those really dark times, it's hard to write about it. But I I did enjoy how he managed to, to write about grief as well. And I was actually struck by, you know, there was a couple of things that I haven't heard many other people even say or talk about that. 
his friend Paul, like he he thought he would spot him out yeah. on the street and look out for him. And you would think that's something that's almost kind of childlike, that like a, maybe a child going through grief might kind of do. I know from personal experience, like I, I know like that's what I would have done. Um, and the dreams as well afterwards, the, the dreams after losing someone. I completely see why you would dedicate a whole essay about that because it can be really having a dream about someone like that and, and waking up in the morning and asking yourself was that real or was that not and if you're having that for months on end on and off or even for years that can be a really it can, it can prolong the, the grief and the, the trauma of the event happening again in your head again and again and again and I just yeah. was surprised by how much that I just as a reader uh, related to that but I'm glad he did deal with that it's in a way I actually thought as well I was I was impressed I thought kind of fair play to you for writing about your dreams as well writing about grief so honestly but also I feel like it's it's kind of risky to base essays around dreams because it's just that mm-hmm. cliche of like oh god someone's telling me about their dreams and he does it in a different point in the essay about um not being a parent in which is called something else and he starts that off with he's having dreams that involve infants and babies and Mm -hmm. and he kind of it's actually I really liked how he brought that in I don't know because I do think like we all have that experience where something is playing on your mind and it it then manifests in these really vivid ways in your dreams and he just he managed to write about that I think really really well I think on that note, that might conclude our chat. Although we we could go on and on because, yeah. like I said, it's so wide wide ranging in terms of what he talks about. Again, like other things that we didn't have a chance to even get to, like his time in a band and yeah, yeah. and pi- pirate radio as well. Like that's I think that's something that me and you found really. Yeah, interesting because of of what we're doing with with quarantine. Well, true, and like you know, a totally different manifestation, I guess, because now you know, yeah, <laughs> our, our quarantine FM, fab fab that it is, it doesn't seem quite as like guerrilla radio as what he describes <laughs> as like anarcho syndicate or I can't remember the terminology, but this kind of you know like punk radio where it's like people. You know, it's just in some in some random house in in Dublin. You don't know what's on next, and complete <laughs> a completely chaotic broadcasting environment. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, there was the, those essays are great fun as well. And like the trip, the summer spent in Bremen in Germany. Yeah, there's there's so much life yeah. and and fun in the essays as well. Um, and I haven't actually. I know he's a features writer for the Irish Times, and I haven't actually really read much of his writing there so I think after reading this it will definitely make me look out for for his features because I'd be interested to hear to kind of get a sense of how you know does he have a different style entirely in you know in that writing in that different form so Catherine I know you were chatting to Amy before Christmas do you want to tell us what the two of you got talking about yes I chatted with Amy O'Connor before Christmas uh Amy is a writer and she 
has published her own, she self-published her own collection of poetry and prose and she tells me a little bit about the process behind that and what spurred her on to, to publish her work. And we also talk about the perceptions of sharing uh, your work online and more specifically on Instagram. And while there are maybe certain perceptions um, of that, it's, it's benefited her quite a lot and she has been able to benefit from certain opportunities and reach as well. So um, really interesting chat. And for you then, I know, again, it's a question I like to ask. I, I think it's interesting to hear about. It's one of the most commonly asked questions. But for you, where did it all start? Did you, were you like a child that loved English in school and scribbled like bits of notes and copy books when you were younger? How did it develop or manifest for you growing up? I was definitely somebody who loved English in school. It was one of my favourite, um, it was one of my favourite subjects. Now, I feel like because of the curriculum and because of how, you know, rigid the, the structure is in, in school, I probably didn't really understand how much I loved it at the time because I was only being subjective to certain material. And it wasn't really then until into my maybe early 20s, you know, 2021, I'm 27 now, um, that I started to come across um, pieces of writing that I found really inspiring and that would resonate with me much more than you know, let's say, you know, Shakespeare that we would have done for the leave insert. Um, and so when I started to, you know, come across new styles of writing and that, <clears throat> I started to get more in touch with it. And it, like I said, from my early 20s, then it was really when I started to, um, you know, dabble at writing myself. Um, and it's just continued from there, you know, and which has been fantastic. And you know, I've, I've met a lot of great people along the way and I've come across some, you know, really talented writers along the way. And you know, I'm thankful for it. And like I said, I'm, I'm particularly thankful for it this year because, you know, some people, you know, they mightn't have an outlet. And um, I'm lucky that I do have the love for English that I, that I have. And as well, what, what sets you apart, I suppose, from people that we've spoken to over the last couple of months is that, You've your your online presence and your Instagram page and uh poetry on Instagram is something that has been. Uh, it, it's it's we like we all we all know that you know poetry is on Instagram and we we all love like it popping up on our feed and and people like sharing us. That's the thing as well. It's it's as much maybe a written thing as it is a visual you know, medium as well. What what was it for you that was like, okay, I'm going to I'm I'm going to do this? So, you know, for a very long time I struggled with sharing my work with other people, you know, like many people do. And um I eventually, you know, just through a very, you know, supportive network of family and friends, um, you know, they kept pushing me and they kept saying to me, You need to get your work out there, you need to get your work out there. Um, and I was, you know, I had been thinking about it for a while because myself having the interest I have in writing on my own personal account, like I would have followed, you know, certain hashtags or, you know, certain pages that would share pieces of writing. And I said, I thought the concept of using such a visual platform for, you know, um, the written word was a very interesting concept because in a way it's completely contradictory, you know, um, <clears throat> But I decided to start up the page and I said to myself, um, so it'll be two years this January. Um, so it's not that long. 
but posting constantly when you are posting constantly it's, it is a very long time you know a lot of work and a lot of time does go into it but look I started the page two years ago in January and I said look if nothing comes of it nothing comes of it you know it's it's still a great hobby to have and it's a great way for me to keep my work together and you know it's you know certain people in my life like my friends or my family it's a great way for them to even stay up to date with my work you know and it's instant and um and I and that I kind of went into it with that idea and that mind that frame of mind and I suppose just through time and effort um <clears throat> I started to gain more and more of a following and um you know I started to receive messages off of people that I'd never met and you know these were really like harrowing heartfelt messages and that kind of you know that gives you a bit of a lift and that gives you a bit of a buzz and that kind of is an injection of confidence into you to continue with it to keep going you know if you're touching maybe just one person with your work and to be able to have that open channel of communication with them is fantastic I think um so I just continued with it and I continued with it and I'm, I'm here where I am with it today and it's brought a lot about brought about a lot of opportunity for me which has been fantastic um, but there is like there's a whole argument there about Instagram and poetry and, you know, does it take away from, you know, does the constant posting take away from how maybe substantial the poetry is or um, but there's for and against that argument. And, you know, I could sit here and talk to you about that for the day, so we won't get into it too much. But um, I think, you know, having the ability to have a platform to showcase your work is an important thing for me because if it's able to inspire or it's able to resonate with other people, I want it to be out there, you know, and that's what's important to me. Um, and it has. So I'm very thankful for that. And your book then, A Beautiful Complexity, did you self-publish that? Do you mind just talking us through that that process of, of what that was like for you? Sure. Um, I, like I had no prior knowledge of, you know, the, you know, the literary world or the publishing industry. Um, but I had been writing at that time in my life, you know, I was going through a breakup and I was kind of using writing as a way to cope with my emotions. And, um, I've been writing a lot of content and, and a lot of poetry, a lot of prose. And I had so much material that I said, um, you know what, I'm going to put this together for myself. And it's going to be a personal project. It's just going to be something that I want to kind of take off the list and, you know, get it off my chest and maybe move on with my life. Um, so I said, look, the only way I'm going to go get get that done is is if I look at self publishing because I know how niche poetry is and I know you know it's not looked upon favorably by a lot of publishers because you know there's not a lot of money to be made for it at the end of the day, um. So it's it's it is such a niche um style of writing and. I just said, you know what, it's not about that for me. It's more so about the emotional journey. So I just want to self-publish it and have it for myself. I just started contacting people I know and I started to get, you know, tidbits of information off them. And I outsourced a, um, a design graphic, a graphics design company in England. Uh, they designed my cover for me. They formatted the book for me. Um, and then once you've, you've kind of everything done with the manuscript and you've got your cover and all that, you upload it to this platform. Um, and then it's, um, it's, you pay, it's order per pay, paper order. Um, so they take care of all of the publishing on their end. So that means you don't have books and uh, boxes of books in your sitting room trying to sell them, you know, um, all the distribution is carried out by Amazon. Um, so it's handy in that regard, but I only wanted to publish the one, the one book for myself at the time. Um, so I, 
I, I went through the whole process and then I got my proof copy in the post just to make sure I was happy with it. And um, yeah, I said, great. And then I ordered uh, just a couple of a copy for myself and a couple of copies for my family and my friends. And once they got their hands on it, you know, they were kind of saying, Amy, like you're you're crazy not to go ahead with this. You're crazy just to keep this to yourself. You know, there's a lot of people who might relate to this work. And um, so I, I did. That's what I did. I went ahead with it and um, I decided to, you know, start marketing the book and start adding it to my Instagram and, and go down that route and just start started to support it and, and put a bit of marketing behind it. And you know, it's done, it's done very well. And, you know, a lot of people around the world have ordered the book and have contacted me about it. So, you know, I'm thrilled that I actually did take that leap of faith. And, um, because I've got such, you know, really lovely comments and feedback on it. And at the end of the day, I mean, that's, that's what's important. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled. People reading it and, and critiquing it. There's also the, the other thing to it as well. I can only imagine of, like you mentioned that you were going through you know maybe heartbreak at the time and 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 tricky times that sometimes it's it's the people that know you or that know of you is sometimes more daunting to know that they're reading it rather than com- complete strangers like across the world that don't know you and don't know your backstory and you know sometimes that's for some people that that's an easier thing and and, and for some people it's like well no they they don't know anything about me it, you can argue it either way and like you touched on it there as well about you know sharing your work and and sharing your like your innermost thoughts and feelings i like i've read some of the book as well myself and um how how did you sort of make peace with okay i'm putting this out and and anyone can read it and this is a very personal experience or period in my life and i'm just going to make peace with it and you know put it out there well, if you see, you see, I know that you write because I think only writers understand that, you know, a lot of people don't understand or even would even begin to imagine, you know, that that might be an issue. But um, look, if I'm to be perfectly honest, I don't think I'll ever make peace with it. You know, I think it's it's something I've struggled with since I started doing it. It's something I struggle with today. Um. But I think it's the the whole concept, the whole willingness to be vulnerable is what attracts people to my work because, you know, there is a stigma associated with being, you know, open and honest about your feelings. And, you know, now I know we're moving towards a more progressive, you know, way of thinking about that. But I feel like people don't open up enough and I think it would be a much softer world if people did, but they don't. And it took it took me a lot of convincing by people in my family and my friends to go ahead with that book initially because of that exact reason I was saying you know but what will people think and what will people think but I'm at a stage with it now where I just stopped caring because the benefits so much more much more outweigh you know the okay so some people in my locality at home in Tipperary have read the book and have thought god this one is away with it or this one is so deep god love her and you know what i just stop caring because i get so many lovely messages to say you know i feel like nobody else understands or you know you're putting into words what i can't articulate and that's why i love your work your work and that means so so much more to me than you know people who barely even know me you know getting this whole notion about me from just you know a couple of pages in my book 
Um, and I do, I have no, I've newfound respect for people who write about uh, more emotional topics now because I understand, you know, how much it takes to put that on paper and not only that, but share it with the public domain. And um, it's, it is, it's a difficult journey to travel. Um, but I look, I don't regret it, but you learn a lot from it. And I've learned a lot about myself and who I am as a person and, you know, how aware I am of my own emotions and, um, I wouldn't take it back for the world but it is it's uh, it's not something I'm going to say look it's been easy it hasn't and I struggle with it all the time but it's important I think it's important to have things like that out there for people maybe it's it's kind of an Irish trope that we it's it's taken us as a country kind of so long to, to be more open and to be able to discuss things that are obviously completely separate and different to, to maybe what you write about but for us as a society to to be open and honest with each other and about how we feel because a lot of like if if people remember like maybe what they studied in the leaving cert or the junior cert poetry like a lot of Irish poetry is a lot of it is to do with nature like anecdotes like describing like a person or a place or likening one thing to another a lot of it is to do with history that's like a lot of kind of what what is written about now that's kind of the stare and being very very blunt and saying that that's kind of generally speaking um and obviously you know if i was to think of maybe audiences in the uk or maybe america i would think well i think they're maybe more receptive to you know to to to, to learning about and hearing about different things do you think that that's something that we're very, very slowly, slowly getting better at even talking about or discussing or is it not a characteristic of Irish people? Maybe I'm being a bit too too harsh on no, her. No, on I was folks. going to say, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, it's not just poetry. It's not just being open. It's everything in this country. You know, everything is slowly but surely moving. It's more progressive, but it's take, it takes such a long time for some reason in this country to get to that mental state and you know, being open and being vulnerable and, you know, discussing, uh, you know, issues about your emotions is another one of those topics. And, you know, there's so much awareness now about mental health and, you know, mental health issues. Um, I just love if, if people came out and talked about how they felt, you know, during the tougher periods in their life, like going through, you know, the loss or grief or, you know, losing a loved one or, you know, breaking up with somebody that you really love. Um, and I suppose that's what I'm trying to do here is just make people aware that, you know, that's OK and it's OK to feel that way. Um, we are such a slow country to do that. I don't know why. I think I completely agree with you when you say that other countries are more receptive to it and, you know, they're much more maybe welcoming to it. And I don't know, is it just because the material makes other people feel a bit uncomfortable? I don't know. Um, I can't speak on everybody's behalf, but... I think, like I said there earlier, like I think it would just be much a, a soft, a softer world if people were more open and more had much more of a willingness to be vulnerable. Just the last question before I think you're going to share a couple of pieces with us today before we finish off. But going forward, then for you, Amy, down the line, is there maybe another book in the pipeline or any any hopes of any projects coming up in the next year or two? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, with the with my social media platform, like I kind of never know what's going to come along my way, you know. Um, so I'd be hopeful that you know more opportunities will come down the line. But I am. I'm working on a second collection at the moment. I've been working Very on it good. for the past yeah, um, for the past year, 
Um, it's probably going to be another year before I have it complete. And then, you know, once I have the manuscript, I haven't really decided um, what way I want to go about it this time. Like, obviously, like anyone else, I'd love to have it traditionally published. Um, but, you know, that brings its own side of, of issues, too, with it. And I'm aware of that. But um, look, I guess I think I think the best way to go about it is, is just see where the journey takes me. I, I'm trying not to put as much pressure on myself this time, just trying to let things happen naturally and progress naturally. So once I start to come up with the vision for the book and I know kind of, you know, what um style I want it to be in and, you know, what, you know, maybe what way I want to put it together, what way I want to format it, then I might go down the road of maybe um pitching it to traditional publishers uh this time around. But um I'm not quite there with it yet, so I I guess let's just see see how it goes. Well, watch the space. I think um, watch the for space, you, yeah. watch the space, and um, personally, I'm you know going to be keeping an eye and best luck, obviously, with with Thank finishing you. off on the book. It's it's no mean feat. But before we finish up today, I think, like I said, you had a couple of pieces maybe that you were going to read out for us. So, in your own time. I I don't know if you want to tell us a bit about them first, or if you just want to read them. It's totally up to you. Sure. Um. Well, I anyone that knows my work or has been on my page, you know, I kind of have two styles. I have a more long form. It's not necessarily long form, but it's longer. And then I just do you know short little tidbits. So I've got I've just picked um two of the longer ones today. Um. A lot of what I write about is heartbreak, uh, romance. You know that side of things. So I actually was inspired by um quarantine back in I think it was April and I wrote this piece um just because I wanted to punctuate the lockdown with some writing. Um so I wrote this piece and it's called Quarantine Unbounded. So I'll share this with one with you first and this is how I've just kind of mixed um the romantic side of things with what we were going through at the time. So it's called Quarantine Unbounded. We awake now and lay listening to, through cracked bedroom windows as the birds sing on into dusk from dawn and flowers dance untreaded to the symphony of purified winds. Cityscapes hollowed and mourning the loss of familiar footing. Sun and stars take shifts to illuminate our words unbounded. Our hands and hearts moving in tandem to the sound of tangled limbs rustling beneath the sanctuary of linen sheets. For what may only be a four by six foot construct in this room feels a lot like the freedom to dream of this being the rest of our lives together. That's lovely, Emma. Thank you. So I suppose what I was trying to get across there was... um kind of how restricted we were in the lockdown and in quarantine but you know I think if you're in the right company um you know that those things don't matter because there's always hope and, and there's always the time together you know going into the future and then my other poem that I'm going to share with you today is something I wrote uh when this year when I felt like things were kind of being pulled out from under me like a lot of people um and I was kind of struggling with you know how things were oh it just felt like everything was coming undone at the time and you know I, I just couldn't get a grasp on anything so I wanted to articulate that um so this one is a sadder one um and it's called losing yourself 
My softened brown eyes search for even lines and straight paths, but I see things now in almost halves, not quite smoothing together, an existence fractured at its core. And it is this way that I observe the world, a view born of knockbacks, a perception born of neglect. These are the twins of losing yourself. So that's kind of got a much sadder tone to it. I, th- I think it's a very relatable to how people are feeling and, and have mm. been feeling for the mm. last number of months, unfortunately. But mm. like we've been discussing the last maybe half an hour, that's that's one huge part of, of what drives you to keep going. And, and so many other writers, you know, that even if something is, is tough or maybe not pleasant to, to read out or, you know, um, evoke certain emotions, safe in the knowledge that you're probably not the only one feeling yeah, that this is it and I think look it has been <clears throat> such a fragmented year for people you know things have come undone and you know people have felt like they're a bit lost I think I, I'm not the only one who feels that way this year and um, what you know inspires me and you know what gives me a bit of hope is that like you know someday I'll look back on this work and some days even now like with the beautiful complexity as much as I know you know I wrote that and I felt that at the time you know I don't feel that way anymore like I hope someday in the future I'll look back on this work now during you know what's been a crazy year and I'll say god like you know I've, I wrote that because it was accurate to how I was feeling at the time and you know hopefully I won't feel that way in the future but I think it's important to have you know, those milestones punctuated in your life and articulated because um, at the end of the day, as much as my work is for everyone else, it's very much for me too. And, um, you know, it's important for me to, to, you know, make sure that I have, you know, certain pieces of writing that articulate how I'm feeling at a particular time in my life. Um, so that down the line when I'm old and the crap I can look back. <laughs> yeah. I can look back and I can say, God, what a what a whirlwind of a life that was. <laughs> well, I think that is is as good a note as ever to finish our chat on today. Amy O'Connor, thank you so much for, for chatting to us. And obviously later on in the show we'll we'll give people links and, and ways to, to keep tabs on you and your work and best look with the writing and watch the space. Thanks so much, Catherine. I really appreciate it. You know, I love, I don't have too many opportunities to come on and speak to another writer um, like this. So I, I do really appreciate it for having me on. Thanks so much. Thank you so much to Amy for chatting to me a couple of weeks ago. And for people who are interested in following her work, probably Instagram is the best bet, which is AOC Poetry on Instagram. And now just for the final part of the show, we just thought we'd have a very casual little chat about reading habits. And I think we were just thinking along the lines of, you know, a lot of people set reading goals as part of their, you know, 20, well, sorry, (laughs) any new year resolution. (laughs) Um, You know, they say they want to read more. Making a bit of time to read is often, you know, something I I, you aim to do just to try and take a break from the screens but it's kind of hard to do it as well because it's it's hard to make the time it's hard to sit down and pick up a book and you know you you find your attention span can start to wane just given what the I suppose yeah the, the social media culture that we're used to so we just thought we'd have a little chat about yeah about kind of how we read or what we'd be really interested as well to hear from 
from listeners to hear from you all about how oh, absolutely. how you yeah how how you read how what's been helpful to you to to get you to read are you like an audiobook person or you know how, how do you prefer to to use a kindle so yeah we just wanted to open that open that up i would say when i was younger i i obviously had a lot more time on my hands i have to say i have had a lot of time on my hands the past few months since i finished my master's but between finishing the master's and dissertation writing and finishing research and reading that genuinely was really interesting to me but it's not leisure reading it's you know it's yeah. something completely different it's taken me months to switch off from that side of things then there's been coronavirus and i've been operating in a in a constant lockdown almost i've been kind of cocooning a lot of the time but it's only really since christmas that i've actually in my mind just settled down enough to read and the one thing actually about Patrick Frayne's book that I didn't get to say, um, that I would say now, that's what, see, that, that's my first book of the new year that I've read and I'm on to my next one in fairly quick succession, which hasn't happened in a long time. But it was been such an escape. It was just so nice to yeah. um, tune out for an hour here and there when, when, I, when I was reading the book. And... Yeah, but when I, when I was younger, I was a lot better. I uh, I was able to read multiple books on the go. And now I can't really do that. I, I have to see one out, one after the other. And there's nothing wrong in that either. But um, yeah, I, I have been in a slump. And I would say I need to be in the mood to read. Yes. That's a big thing with me. Yeah, Um, I just wanted to agree with you on that because you and I would have been in the same boat about doing the masters and for me my masters actually was in literature so I was reading books for it um you know which I really enjoyed but it is funny it is that part of your brain where it's switched on in the analytical sense and even though I really enjoyed the books I was reading for my course um you know, it was also I was doing a lot of, you obviously end up doing a lot of theory and, you know, critical analysis of the of different things as well. But yeah, then I had real guilt about reading uh, oh, leisure yeah, books. So yeah. then, but it's so stupid because then I'll be like, oh, I'll just watch a show instead. But sure, I could have been reading something, but it's like <laughs> my brain was like, no, 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 you can only read things that are relevant <laughs> to your study. And then I just go and like watch something stupid and or like watch something stressful, which is again, just, <laughs> you know, why would I do that? I found that like at a certain point of lockdown, I started trying to watch Ozark on Netflix, which I didn't get that oh, far gosh. into. It's really good, but it, it's really incredibly stressful. It's all about money laundering. Don't know if anyone's seen it, but I found like I was literally <laughs> sitting there like totally tensed up being like I this is not this has to stop like I have to just go back to literally watching a sitcom or I probably should have just picked up yeah an, a nice calm chill book because it, it totally I think it, it relaxes you you know it's just like it's such a, a nice way to unwind in the evening and for me like the break from screens and I know a lot of people will say this it actually makes a big difference to your sleep. I, about this time last year, I, I got a Kindle. Uh, it was a present to myself. And 
I have to say, obviously nothing will beat the the physical book. Um, and I bought. I I actually got Patrick Frayne's book as a as a gift over Christmas. Um, and books like that, I I find things like memoirs and personal essays in particular. I don't know why. I love to have the physical copy of them in particular. I don't. I don't know why. I I just I just do. I feel very strongly about it. But I have to say that the Kindle again. It's not going to replace the the physical book and I do like to support bookshops as well where I can obviously and we've talked about that before but it has been I, I bought it actually just to be able to read my pdfs actually for, for college on it in a bit more of an accessible way because you can highlight yeah. and bookmark and do all that and I wish someone had told me about that, that an e-reader can help you a little bit with your research. Uh, no one yeah. had kind of said that to me. But um, I have found it great because I find... Actually, I did read a little bit over... I did do a little bit of leisurely reading over the summer when I had to go for like appointments where I had to make these kind of longer journeys for essential reasons of course um because i i read in the car as a passenger oh, obviously i i read in the car <laughs> and um, important to clarify for <laughs> as a passenger and it's been one of the things for all of the things i lack and cannot do i am very glad i can read in the car because for reasons that you won't get into i i do I, I travel between Mayo and Dublin usually in non-pandemic times. I would travel between Mayo and Galway and Mayo and Dublin. And I find I would always try and bring a book with me, but I find the Kindle, it just pops into your bag. And I, I found myself reading, catching pages here and there where I usually wouldn't. Yeah. Because if a book I'm reading is particularly big and I don't feel like lugging it around with me, it's going to stay at home. Um, so from that point of view, I do find having a Kindle or having an e-reader, generally speaking, I do catch little pages here and there or time, po- pockets of time yeah. where I probably wouldn't catch otherwise. But yeah, the, the, but the, the physical book and the smell, and yeah, the new book it's smell. True. And, it's know, hard to replace it. Either. And I also love going into a bookshop and just finding things you know especially when it's a and we yeah and we've we've talked at length about our, our lovely independent bookshops but when there's often like you'll just the way they're curated will you'll find things that you wouldn't otherwise which I I'm a big fan of so it's nice to just go in and you'll end up coming out with a few books and yeah there's something about that the the, the pages on the, the new book or the or the old book smell I like getting secondhand books too what do you do if you're reading a book that you're struggling with and that you're struggling with or you're not enjoying and you've maybe spent money on the book, uh, whatever whatever format that you you have it in, do you persevere? Would you usually persevere or would you just I think do a bit I'm, of self-care and be like, no, I'm not going to, I know. <laughs> I'm not going to see it through. I think I, I think in the past, like I've, often persevered but I've also definitely 
I've definitely given up on books and I do think that is the right thing to do if you're not enjoying a book and you're right it's self-care it's like why do I who am I trying to prove something to by continuing to read this book that I'm thoroughly not enjoying I do think sometimes you come to a book at the wrong time you're not in the mood for it for whatever reason and in that case I think it's I've done that before as well. Just put it away. Like maybe there'll be another point in time when you come back, you feel like coming back to it. But sometimes that happens as well. And it's with the books that people have recommended to you. So you're like, oh, I really thought I was going to like this. And yeah, sometimes you just got to put it down and say, you know what, not for me at this time. No, no. What about you? I usually, I usually would stop because, and I think I do this um, with, books anyway that I put too much pressure on myself to enjoy it and I think mm-hmm. I heard someone say that like not every book you're going to, to read not every book you're going to read is going to be perfect and I I'd, especially as well I'm just the type of person if I'm in the com- if I'm with someone and we're picking a film online to watch and it's my turn to pick I, I I stress myself out to, to pick something that they're <laughs> going to enjoy and I'm going to enjoy. Yeah. And a couple of people have said to me, you know, you need to just relax and just pick one because not everything you're going to watch is going to be perfect either. So <laughs> maybe that's, that's the true. mentality I need to I need to go yeah. with. But that's at the same that's, time that's good. At the same time, um if I'm really just if I'm not enjoying something, I think struggling and not enjoying can maybe be two different things, but um, if I'm really not enjoying something, I would definitely self-care, put it away, give it some Agreed, else, and I think, yeah, there's enough, you know, troubling stuff going on in the world right now that we might as well, you know, read something that you want to read and enjoy it. <laughs> Allow yourself that. So that's all we have for you this week on Reader's Hour. We hope that you enjoyed tuning in. Don't forget you can find us on Twitter at Readers Hour and get in touch via email readershour at gmail.com and as always we'll be sharing links within a day or two to listen back so don't be afraid to spread the word. So hope you enjoyed the rest of your weekend and hope you're all minding yourselves. We'll be back to you next Saturday. Mm-hmm.